Wonderful. If you will open up your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3. I want to talk today about uh, the power of the resurrection. Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. This is the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Would you please pray with me? Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for all the ways that you have been talking to us, Lord, through the singing and the children and through acting out your Resurrection Sunday story. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. And Father, I pray that you continue to be speaking through us through all of the means that you have uh, chosen for yourself. Lord, I thank you for the preaching of the word of God, which is a, a tool that you have appointed for the spreading of faith throughout the world. Father, I thank you for the people of God hearing your message. Lord, that you've promised that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom into all the things that you have achieved on our behalf in Christ. And so, Father, I pray together with all the saints that you would move amongst us that you would reveal the truth in the depths of our souls and in our minds, Lord Jesus, and that you would uh, raise to life your people in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm getting my amens coming from someone's cell phone over there. Let's preach. What was that? That was Colossians? That was... All right. That guy definitely was reading it better than I did, so... (laughs) Next time, we'll just channel that through the mains and go for it. Amen. Okay. I want you to do a little uh, mental experiment with me. I want you to imagine that you had to... I just want you to look up for a sec, okay? Let's do this first. Do you see those glowy things in the ceiling above us? Right? They're there. There's one right in my eyes. It's a beautiful experience. But everybody, right, has a glowy thing above you right now. What do we call those things? Lights. That's right. Thank you. All right. We're off to a great start on the interaction thing. Okay. There we go. Okay. I'll see you after class, young man. And uh, so we have these lights up above above us. Now, I want you to try to imagine that you had a, you were meeting an ancestor from a thousand years ago, and let's just say there was no language gap. You could both speak English, and, and trying to explain to them what was going on with the lights, all right? Something we're very used to, but a thousand years ago, they'd have almost no clue about it. So they would say, like, so what are these, these glowy things? Do you have, like, little stars in your ceiling or something like that, or how does that work? Oh, no, 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 it's just a light bulb, it's just electricity. What do you mean electricity? What's that? And then that's where most of us would just lose it because it's like unless you're married to an electrician and talk about talk shop over the dinner table, we just have no clue. But but if you were working on it, you say, well, it's kind of like uh, lightning. You got lightning in your ceiling? No, no, not quite. Well, you, you take the electricity, which is kind of like lightning, and you channel it down wires. Well, what's a wire? Well, it's kind of like these big metal hairs that are coated in 
Rubber. Well, what's rubber? I don't know, man. It comes out of a tree. Leave me alone. And you're, if you try to explain it, it's like, it's, it's, it's like lightning bolts that are traveling down, metal hairs that go a long, long way that come to this building down the metal hairs, and, and then you make it go through either a filament, but nowadays we have a light-emitting diode. Does anybody know what a diode is? Anybody here? One person. One person sheepishly. I do, but don't ask me to come out and explain it. A light-emitting diode. You would lose these people so bad, but, but they, would, they would just be saying, so what you're telling me is that you have machines that can make lightning, and then the lightning travels down giant hair into your house, and then it makes really bright stars in the roof of your house. It's true. It's true. And we kind of forget how crazy it is that we have little lightning bolts traveling all around this building. And if you actually know how your brain works, you actually have little lightning storms going on in your brain all the time, as well as the electricity travels along myelin sheathing in your neurons, whatever. But we have lightning bolts traveling all through Manitoba, all around these buildings, going into light-emitting diodes that makes it so that we can black out our windows like we were some sort of shift worker trying to sleep with, with aluminum foil and still see inside. How does that work? And what I'm trying to get us to realize is that there is an amazing thing, an amazing power happening all around us right now. And it's not amazing to us because we're used to it and because it works. It's not, it doesn't seem special because it always happens when you turn the, the flip up, you flip the switch upwards. But it is crazy. It is crazy that you can pour water over a turbine and it makes lightning bolts and you can make those lightning bolts go where you want with copper wiring or whatever it is they use nowadays. That is crazy. Martin, what you do is crazy. Okay? Plumbers are pretty cool too. Anyhow. <laughs> anyhow. Where are you going with this, Rob? Okay. There is this thing in the universe. It's called resurrection power. And it is more powerful than any electrical storm or lightning bolt. But we as Christians kind of forget about it because either we just don't think about it or we get used to it working. And it becomes normal to us. So this morning, I just want to talk about the amazing miracle of resurrection power. Okay? You with me? Now, resurrection power is not make-believe, even though you cannot measure it with a ruler or a weight or a Geiger counter. It's not make-believe. It's founded in history. It's founded in history and applied in history, and it works through faith, but it is a real deal. And I want to flip over in my Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to just remind us how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the center of Christianity or Christian faith. And if you lose this reality or if you lose faith in this reality, you don't actually have Christianity anymore. 
Okay, so this is what the Apostle Paul says to this church about his preaching. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he says, I'm going to remind you of the gospel, the good news about Jesus that I preached to you, and you received it, and you are standing in it, and you have to hold fast to this, otherwise you believed in vain. Otherwise it's been a waste. If you let go of the gospel that he's about to explain to us, it's lost. It's all lost. It doesn't matter how many millions of miles of copper wiring that we have strewn all over Manitoba, if someone comes and drops a bomb on our wind turbines and on our hydroelectric dams, it's useless. Right? It's just future friendship bracelets. Anybody? It's useless. All that wiring, all these LEDs, if someone drops a bomb on those wind turbines, which are a beautiful invention, or the hydroelectric dams, we're sunk. It doesn't do anything. So that's what Paul is saying. He's taking us back to where it all comes from, his gospel. And he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins. What's the, of first importance? What's the first and most important thing? That Christ died for sins. And that was Good Friday. In accordance with the scriptures, is God making this up as he goes? No, he prophesied the whole thing in his scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. So this is like the core of the gospel message. Jesus died. He was buried. And he came back from the dead. So this is no resuscitation thing. This is no, Jesus fell through the ice during the winter, and he was so cold that when the EMS showed up three days later, he had been preserved in ice. And as they thawed him out and put the paddles on his heart and zapped him a couple times, he did the big... Gasp and was resuscitated. No, he was dead, 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 dead. And that's part of the gospel. It's part of the gospel that he could not come back by any human means. That's how dead he was. And they buried him and they put him behind a stone that weighed a lot more than that cardboard cutout. And then he came back on the third day, on a Sunday. And he not only came back, but he was seen by the very people who had seen him die or had been so convinced that he was dead that they weren't there waiting for him. Amen? As we watched the play, it was the ladies who came to the tomb. They wanted to anoint him. They wanted to do some more honoring things for him as a corpse. There was nobody waiting there to see him come back from the dead, except for the soldiers who were there to make sure that nobody pretended he came back from the dead. So this is the core of the gospel. This is the hydroelectric dam. This is the nuclear power plant. This is the, let's say, green age coal burning (laughs) electric dynamo. 
This is the start of all the power, something that happened in human history. He died. He was buried. He came back. And it's so important that Paul says that if, if, we, if, if we forget this, we have no gospel. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we have been found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those, only, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. And this is a, an important truth to remember, that if he didn't literally come out of the grave, this is a waste of time. You know, as, as, a, as a Christian, this is important that we remind ourselves of this regularly. You know what? If Jesus isn't alive right now, let's not go to church on Sunday. There's better things to do with our tithe dollars, and we might as well not be a bunch of lunatic liars deceiving ourselves and other people. Like, it's great to know that in the Bible, the apostle actually said, if I didn't 100% know this was true, I wouldn't be doing it. Because I would rather just not be lying about God with my time. This isn't his best probability. This isn't a leap of faith. This isn't a stab in the dark. He's, He's saying, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, I wouldn't be here doing this. And that's good to know. That's supposed to be our attitude too. And, uh, but there are so many, there's been so many movements in the church in the last couple hundred years that say, you know, it's not actually that important whether or not he came back or not. Because he came and he was preaching a message of love and the brotherhood of all men and be nice to your enemies. So whether or not he came back, it doesn't really matter that much. And even if he didn't come back, the resurrection is a great story of hope. It teaches us about hope. Let's, let's ho- have hope for the future. Sometimes this message is called liberal Christianity. It gets other names, progressive Christianity, something like that. But the scriptures say that this is totally upside down. If he didn't literally come back, there's, we need to find something better to do with the next 30 or 40 years of our life before we perish and are lost. There isn't hope. And that's in the Bible. But this did happen. This is what Paul is getting at. This did happen. And the death and resurrection of Jesus has implications. Okay, And this is when I'm gonna, where I'm going to start up saying this is where it impacts us. Because we're ta- we, we, we go from the facts to what it means. We go from what happened then to what it means for what's going to happen now. All right? And so what Paul says is, Jesus died on a cross. That's the fact. He was crucified. That's the fact. And what does it mean? It means that he he died for sins, and through faith we can have all of our sins forgiven and be reconciled with God. The fact was his death. The meaning is that through faith we can be saved from our sins. And the fact was that Jesus came out of the grave, and the meaning is that everybody one day is going to come out of the grave. Jesus was the first of a universal resurrection that's going to happen. 
Everybody is going to be raised from the dead, some to eternal life and some to an eternal destruction or eternal judgment. The Bible calls it a few different things. But the meaning of Jesus coming out of the grave, the meaning of Resurrection Sunday is that everybody is going to be resurrected at some time. And by faith in Jesus Christ and by getting right with God, by having your sins forgiven, you get resurrected to an eternal relationship of love and joy and peace and happiness and every day being better than the last with God forever. That is the gospel promise. Put your trust in the one who died for sins and came out of the grave and you are united with him by faith and everything that's true about Jesus becomes true for you. And one good way of summarizing all of that is to say you become a receptor of resurrection power. Jesus is the dynamo. Jesus is the hydroelectric jam. Jesus is the wind turbine. And faith is the wire. And when we get connected to Jesus, we light up with resurrection power. Amen? Now, I know what happens, because you get up here and you start saying, there is resurrection power in Jesus. And what happens is people start going, didn't feel like it this week. Amen? Anybody with me? I can get an amen for that one. Didn't feel like it this week. When Amiga left another Tootsie Roll on the carpet, right outside the bedroom. My reaction didn't look like resurrection power to me. Now, this is where I want to take us back to Colossians. Because we're, we're starting halfway through the letter here. And what, what's kind of missed out is the first two chapters where Paul is just talking about everything God has done through Jesus. Through raising him from the dead. Okay, he's taken his son who is the co-creator of the world, and all things are made through him. And through the resurrection, he has made him the firstborn from the dead and the head of the church and the one through whom all forgiveness for sins comes and the one who humiliated the devil by exposing him to public ridicule, by coming down off the cross and coming out of the grave. The devil threw everything he had at Jesus, all condemnation, all betrayal, all pain, all torture, all shame, threw everything he had at Jesus, And Jesus was washed away by it and then came back stronger. So Jesus has humiliated the devil, has humiliated all dark spiritual forces. He has ruined forever every vain human attempt through philosophy to make up how the world works and how we should respond to it. He has just destroyed all human wisdom because now the only wisdom is put your trust in a man who died and came back from the dead. And everything will change. That's, that's all wisdom. All, all wisdom is summed up in trust to Jesus who was killed and has come back. And Paul goes through all of these truths about what God has done. And then when he comes to us and it's time to apply it, it's time to say what's changed for me now, he says this, if you have been raised with Christ, it's a big if. Have you been raised with Christ? Do you believe in him? Do you believe that he came back from the dead? Is he your Lord? Then the answer is yes. Don't look to your feelings. This is the fact. If you believe these things, you are raised with Christ. The same way he came out of the grave, that power is impacting you. Okay? 
Then he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And what we learn from this scripture is that the the key, or the issue, for the experience of resurrection power is this. And are these. Don't poke yourself in the eye imitating me. Where are you looking? Where is your mindset? Paul is saying to us, this has happened. Christ is raised from the dead. And if you're believing in him, everything's changed for you. But where your mind is set and what you're looking at determines your experience of the resurrection power of God. Amen? Okay, so let me, let me elucidate this a little bit more. And, oh, I hope this cord is long enough. Because I want to put a few miles on these dress shoes this morning. Okay, this is how far I've got. Don't feel bad this side of the room. It's not me, you, it's me. Okay, it's this thing. Lucky this side of the room. Okay. <clears throat> I want to make a point about how our, our, what's happened to us in the past um, impacts who we are today. Okay, put up your hand. Everybody do this. I know there, every once in a while I talk to somebody and they say, Rob, whenever you say do this, I never do it, just in principle. Uh, you, don't, you can be that person if you want to. You don't have to. Um, you're free. Either way, okay, put it right now. Look at it. You like your hand? I hear that. Yeah, okay, good. That's funny. Some people look at their fingernails. Other people look at their fingerprints. That's okay. You can be you this morning. What is your hand made out of? bones, flesh. I want, to, I want to introduce you to another way of looking at it. Your hand is made out of everything you've eaten. All your cheeseburgers, all your steaks, all your broccoli, the cauliflower, the radicchio, the kale. Everything you've eaten comes into you, becomes you, is you. Right? Started off with a mom and a dad, but they were just what they, were, they had eaten. Your hand, your arm, your face, your eyes, your legs, we're, we're what we ate. You are today what you've been eating. Amen? You are what you eat is actually one of the most profound truths that um, moms used to guilt trip their kids. <laughs> All right, there we go. Got a couple of guilts. What you've been eating is who you are. And in another sense, what has happened to you or what you've done in your past is who you are. It's, it's similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. Your family background, your culture, the time you were born, the language you learned, what your schooling was like, your friends that you've had, the painful events, the happy events. That's kind of like food that your soul has been eating through experience. And it's been going into you. Amen? Are you tracking with me so far? And what the gospel does, and the gospel says is, now for you, Jesus' history is your history. Jesus died, you died. Jesus went into a grave, you went into a grave. Jesus came out of the grave, you came out of the grave. And so all this history, if this can be the past over here, 
and, and you're here in the present, all this history is now yours. It's something that you're eating. It's coming into you and it's impacting you. And so now every second of every day of your life, what Jesus did is now coming to you and pushing its way into your life, sometimes forcing its way into your life. His resurrection, his death for sin, his resurrection for justification is now coming into your present. It is what you have eaten. And by faith, we eat more of it. By faith, we say, I'm looking to Jesus, all that he's done. Yum, 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 yum. I'm trusting in his death. I'm trusting in his resurrection. Yum, 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 yum. I'm trusting. I'm looking. I'm hoping. I'm setting my mind on who he is. And it's coming into me and it's impacting me. And it's my nourishment and it's my strength. And when you eat that stuff, you do not spiritually feel like you've had McDonald's for lunch. And if your soul feels like you've had McDonald's for lunch... You probably haven't been looking, and you probably haven't had your mindset on him. Amen? I really like McDonald's, but we all know what happens at 2 o'clock after we've had McDonald's for lunch. I'm just saying, just dealing with the facts. But there's another thing going on as well. There's not just the Jesus, what he's done in the past, because he raised from the grave to be the Lord of the future as well. Amen? And so if you can imagine with me on this side, this is the future. And we have a sure expectation of the future because Jesus is alive. If someone's going to be able to stop what Jesus wanted to do, it would have happened in the grave. When he came out of the grave, he, God was showing, I am going to fulfill every single prophecy and promise I've ever made, and no one can stop me because death can't stop me. So how is just the future going to stop me? And we have this gospel promise that Jesus is right now sitting on the throne in heaven, and he is going to come back. And when he comes back... In his glory, we are going to appear in glory with him. Amen? I read that. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. How many of you know that the same way we kind of feed off of our past, we also feed off of our future? You want to run a little experiment? Okay, tonight, parents, when you go to bed, tell all your kids you're flying to Disneyland tomorrow. You just tell them it. Just say, just, just as Pastor Rob said. And I, I'm, this is blind obedience moment. You just tell them. And then you, you measure when they actually fall asleep. Sometime around 3 o'clock, they'll be like, it's going to be so great tomorrow. And then Monday morning you have to deal with the after effects because it's like, well, this was just an experiment. It's, you know, we just wanted to see what happened to your sleep when we told you. And um, it's actually school, so there you go. Okay, what I'm trying to just give us an example of is how when people have an expectation of the future that really impacts them right now. Okay? And I'm not just being psychological here because the difference is whether or not you're believing a lie for the future or you're believing a sure hope for the future. But God's expectation is is that we, as we put our eyes on a sure hope for the future, it, it changes things and resurrection power comes into our life. Amen? It is a really big difference whether or not you smash your car today. You're not going to. But if you just lost your car and you're like, ah, my, my hope and my future is shot. How am I ever going to get to work? How am I ever going to get to school? How am I ever going to, ah, and I just forgot to pay my insurance and it's all over. And ah, if that is your concept of the future compared to, you know, it's not going to be that long until I'm ruling this place. 
It's not going to be that long until like everything is co-mine with Jesus. It's going to be okay. Because when Jesus comes back, I am coming back raised from the dead, and no American ninja warrior is going to have anything on the resurrection body I'm going to have. <laughs> Amen? That changes things. If it's a sure hope, if it's a sure promise, it changes things. And so what I'm trying to do is give us this picture of how resurrection power comes to us. It comes to us by looking at everything that Jesus has done and knowing that when we look at it, we feast off of it and it becomes part of who we are by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is applying to us everything that Jesus has done every day. As we will look to it and as we will set our minds on it, we enjoy it, we absorb it. And as we look to the future, the sure hope of the future, knowing that because of Jesus... At the great judgment, at the resurrection, he is going to say over us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. This changes things. And resurrection power comes to us through this hope-filled expectation. Amen? Amen. And if Jesus didn't actually raise from the grave, it's all a big joke. So what does resurrection power do? In a nutshell, resurrection power kills what needs to die and makes alive what you thought could never live. Okay? What is the resurrection? Jesus died and he came back from the dead. So resurrection power looks like dying and coming back from the dead. Whatever needs to die, dies when there's resurrection power. Whatever needs to live or come back from the dead does because of resurrection power. And as you read through Colossians, you'll see that the first thing that he, Paul says after he said, you are going to appear with Christ in glory, the first thing he says is, put to death therefore. Okay, that shouldn't surprise us. Now we understand how resurrection power works. First it kills and then it brings back from the dead. We shouldn't be surprised when we say, yay, we're all going to be raised from the dead with Christ. That's why we've got to start putting things to death. Why? Because we're warmongers or we like violence? No, no, no. This is how resurrection power works. First, what needs to die dies, and what needs to be alive comes back from the dead. That's how resurrection power works. And this is what often throws us off, because we think if God's a good God, then everything should just feel better all the time while I'm getting what I want. Right? Amen? We do this? We just think, if God were good, then everything should be feeling better all the time, and all my troubles should get in smaller and smaller and smaller while I'm getting everything I've ever wanted. And that is a desire to not experience resurrection power, because resurrection power kills what needs to be killed and brings to life what needs to live. And sometimes we're in love with what needs to die. And that's where the big frustrations come. Sometimes we want to protect what needs to die, and that's where the big frustrations come. And sometimes we're not that excited about what needs to come back from the grave. And that's where the big frustrations can come. But let's keep going on from there. So he says, put to death what is earthly in you. And then he starts listing off different sins and stuff like this. And essentially what he's doing is he's describing what life is like when you're worshiping idols and you don't know God. And he's just saying that life of not knowing God, that life of pleasing yourself, that life of taking care of yourself like Jesus doesn't love you and spend every day of his life watching over you, looking to do you good, that life just needs to die. 
And those desires are still in there. That mindset is still in there. And so you need to kind of go after it with resurrection power to get rid of it. And then we shouldn't be surprised in verse 12 when he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And he goes on from there. And so he's doing resurrection power. He's saying, kill this stuff and then be alive in this stuff. Okay, kill fighting, kill the sexual immorality and be alive in purity and put on love and harmony and all that stuff. We shouldn't be surprised because this is how the power of God works in the world. Things die and things come to life. Amen. Amen. So I want to be thoughtful about the time, but I'm really excited this morning about talking about how to apply resurrection power to your past. That might be all I do. My mindset as a pastor is like, I like balance. I like fullness. So it's like, you know, resurrection power in the past and resurrection power in the present, which is kind of what we've been talking about, resurrection power, looking to your future. But I think I'm just going to concentrate on the past part because this is often where we need to understand it the most. Um, How does resurrection power impact our past? Because I was saying before that your past and your circumstances are like the food you've been eating your entire life. They have become a part of you. And sometimes our past is is something that we think is insurmountable. Sometimes we're just like, there really can't be any change. It's too intimidating, too painful, too shameful, too tragic, too, just too, 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 too many twos. How does resurrection power come to this? Okay, well, in a nutshell, I want to say, what it does is it changes you from having a past that you carry around like a python wrapped around your neck into having a past that you carry around like King David carried Goliath's head around. It changes you from having a past which is something that you're afraid of and ashamed of into having a past that you're so boastfully grateful about all that God has conquered. Amen. Let me give you an example from the Apostle Paul. Just so you know, I'm still in the scriptures here. I'm not making this up as I go. Now, the Apostle Paul is interesting because somewhere he says, forgetting what's behind and straining on towards the head, I I pursue the upward call in Christ. Okay, so it seems like he could be saying, this is how you deal with your past. Just forget about it. Never happened. You're a Christian. Just forget about it. Okay, it can seem like he's saying that there. I don't think that's exactly what he's saying, but there can be this attitude towards your past. Like, hey man, you're a Christian now. Just raise your hands higher, clap, clap harder. Put on some Toby Mac when you get home. Get some Christian attitude on. You'll be fine. And I just want to flesh out a bit more of his mindset towards the past in his own talk about the past, okay? This is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And you need to remember that the Apostle Paul, even though he wrote half the New Testament, started off his career as a zealous, um, pharisaical Jew who was determined to wipe out any speech about the name of Jesus, even to the point of arresting people in other cities, bringing them to Jerusalem, and hoping that they would get the death sentence. Okay, so that was where he started. And he says this, I thank him who has given me strength... Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. So this is where he's at now. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. See, those aren't good things. 
If somebody calls you a blasphemer and it's true, that's not a compliment. All right? Even though it kind of sounds like old church history stuff, if you're a blasphemer, that's bad. That's really bad. That's not a good thing. That's bad. He said, But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Okay, do you see how he's looking at his past through his present? He's not ignoring it. He's not saying it never happened. He's looking at his past through his present and seeing who God is through what has happened. And he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch what the Apostle Paul did? The Apostle Paul had a history to be ashamed of. Majorly ashamed of. Like, off the charts. Okay? Off the charts. Imagine I was sitting here speaking here, and everybody knew that Tony's cousin was dead because of something I did before I became a Christian. Okay? Awkward! Right? And the Apostle Paul writes about it in a letter he knows that people are going to read, and it turns out all of the church is going to read for the thousands of years until Christ's return, however long he tarries. But he doesn't just feel bad about it, though I'm sure sometimes he still would wrestle with his regrets. He, number one, says, the fact that I'm saved despite my past is a demonstration of God's great love and mercy towards me, and that's going to be my focus. He's in the state of resurrection power. Where are his eyes looking? At his past? No, at his Christ. Where's his mindset? On how horrible it was? No, it's on where Christ is now and where Paul is seated with Christ now. And then he goes on from there to say, we need to remember that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, the mercy I received as the worst of sinners was so that Jesus could put on display his perfect patience as an example for everybody else who would come to believe. Have you killed a Christian? No. Okay, so you have not done as bad as Paul and God still welcomed and saved Paul. That's the point. Can you see how Paul is taking his past and holding it like Goliath's head up for everybody to see? Look at the resurrection power of God. It's not a snake constricting his neck, cutting off life, cutting off joy, cutting off hope, cutting off the future, cutting off relationship. It's not cutting off anything. It has been cut off, and he holds it around going, I don't want you, church, to forget all the bad stuff I did, because if you do, you will forget how gracious God is. That's crazy. That's wonderful. That's resurrection power coming into a person's past. How can you tell if you need the resurrection power to come into your past? Here's a way. And it's the, the difference between Christian weakness and Christian bondage. Okay? Christian weakness is seeing an inability in yourself 
and it turning you to the power of God. Christian bondage is seeing an inability in yourself and it turning you away from the power of God. That's the difference. So if there's stuff that you've done or stuff that's happened to you, then you see where does it go? Does it turn me to God? Does it turn me to relationship? Does it turn me to hope? Or does it turn me away from God? Does it turn me away from relationship? Does it turn me away from hope? If it turns you to God when you look at your past, if it turns you to Christ when, you look at, when you're looking at yourself, that's just weakness, okay? That's, that's, that's hurts. That's not the end of the story. And that's a good thing. Then you can be like Paul holding up, things are bad, but in Christ, this bad thing's head is cut off. Look how ugly he is. Look how ugly he is. But God has defeated this through the cross. But if your past, what you've done or what you're happening to you, if it constricts you from turning to God, if it keeps you from turning to relationship, if it keeps you from hope, then I want to encourage you and call you to look to Jesus. I want to call you to look to the one who was crucified naked, shamed by his enemies, abandoned by his friends, who on purpose, according to scriptures, was totally ruined and destroyed so that God could bring him out of the grave and put him on the throne of heaven so that he could be a full and competent savior to everyone who would come to him. There is no human sin or human hurt beyond the power of the resurrected Jesus. And that is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. Amen. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you so much for your, your word. Thank you so much for your hope. Thank you so much for Jesus alive. I'm just so grateful that even while we're speaking and listening, Jesus is here by the Holy Spirit. This is not a memorial service. Jesus is here. He's here and alive and good and full of power to forgive sins through his blood and full of power to make alive lost hope and lost hearts through his enduring life. Father, I pray that you would, you would touch our entire church with hope in the resurrection power. And we would do our part, Lord, in looking to Jesus and setting our minds on Christ where he's right now seated in power. And knowing that through the cross and through your second coming, we have everything we need to live a life full of power in the midst of weakness. In Jesus' name, amen.